0: Welcome to Building Safe Workplaces, casual talk about serious matters. I'm your host, Tommy Knit with Hask. Today we're going to discuss a topic on learning. I have with me a special guest from Hask, uh, Dick Hanna, Vice President of Learning and Innovation. So thank you for joining us, Dick.
1: No problem. I'm glad to be here.
0: So let's start out by saying, what does a Vice President of Learning and Innovation actually do? Or is that just a trumped up title?
1: No, it's not just a trumped up title. It is actually a, a very meaningful job here at Hask. One of the things that uh, the vice president of learning innovation does is takes a look at what's going on within a Hask in terms of transfer of learning objectives to the student body or to the learners and find ways to make that more effective. And so that's basically what I do, is I look at what we're providing in terms of our instructor-led training and our computer-based training, our e-learning, or anything else, and we decide how can we make that a stronger, more effective product for the learners who come in here.
0: And and how do you come by all that? I mean, I guess I should have started with this, but give us a little bit about your background, Dick. Where, do you, where did you come from to, to this position?
1: So I started in this industry back in 2001 and I was a technical writer for safety manuals. And that really helped me understand some of the procedures and processes and understand some of the terminology that we would be confronted with as I stayed in this industry. After uh, being a technical writer, I became a proposal writer for an industrial cleaning company, and I stayed with them for about four or five years. Then I moved over to my family business, which was a uh, construction contracting company. They did industrial construction. And I I learned a lot about uh, the industry from that. Then I had a few years of moving around in different industries, mostly in software and IT, until I came back to that industrial cleaning contractor. And they actually made me a a trainer. I was a director of training for them for about five or six years, maybe even more. So then I was able to go back to that industrial cleaning company, and they made me a trainer and director of training for several years. And then uh, they tacked on to that director of recruiting as well. And I stayed with that group for probably almost 10 years, and then I was lucky enough to get a position here at Hask.
0: Okay. So as, as a VP of Learning Innovation, you, you talked about making sure that our programs are, or the programs are up to speed and, and, and they're, they're transferring learning. How? How do you do that? What, what is it that you do? How do you make someone learn?
1: So that's a very good question. Uh, there's a couple of things that I bring to the table, and this is the way my philosophy works. First of all, I look at what's been effective in the past. Uh, I was able to learn by doing and learn by failure, which is a very effective way of figuring out the best way to do something. Once you've learned the least effective way, you tend to never do it again, and you find the more effective way. Secondarily, there's a, a theoretical uh, side of things. And understanding the theory of how the brain works and how our learners learn Helps me design the learning more effectively, and so I'm actually taking classes on how to, how to uh, provide better, more effective training for our for our learners.
0: Excellent. So, in in your in your expertise, how does how does training and memory correlate with one another? So
1: you brought up two very good points right there. The first of which is the word training. One of the things we're trying to change here, a paradigm shift, is the. The understanding that we're not just training, we're actually helping our learners learn. There's a difference between training and learning. Training's a little bit more tactical. Learning's more strategic. What we'd like to see for the learners that come into our building, for the people in this industry, is a... a, a a change from just training to learning so that they take what they've learned here into the field with them and throughout their career instead of just a very quick pointed tactical know this now get out of our building Uh, but your second part of that question was about memory memory leads to learning and if we can create effective resilient memories then we can be sure that when they do leave the building they're taking that with them learning is a change in behavior over time a memory is actually you know, kind of remembering something, right? So one leads to the other. And the more we can do to create uh, m- s- resilient, strong memories, the better chance we have of keeping people safe in the field. The way that memories are created is there's a neural network that's created when you hear something or, or see something or learn something for the first
0: time. Kind of like uh, when you were little and your parents said, don't touch this because it's hot most all of us touched it at least once because we didn't understand what hot was and then once we got burnt we have that memory and we knew what hot was at that point right well
1: actually yes and you have the memory from when your mother told you not to and then you also have the memory of when you actually touched it and you felt it all of those things created one one memory network right it's called a multiple trace memory network and the more traces there are, the touching, the smell of the burned flesh, your mom <laughs> yelling at you, the Band-Aid that goes on later, the, the ointment, that smell that goes with that, the, the, the sound of the, the shriek, all of that is creating those memories. And so the, the more of that that you have, the better chance you have that you'll remember it long term. And so what we try to do here is create as many different pathways for that memory to be created. And then also as many different pathways to reinforce that memory once it's in there.
0: Okay. And so you've been in the industry for a while. So how have you seen this this new concept? You say you're, you're trying to do a paradigm shift. Describe a little bit of the change you've seen in the industry over the last 10 years.
1: So it goes back from that, what I said about being tactical to more strategic. Um when I first came on, it seemed like it was very um, fire and forget almost, like if we're gonna use a military term, just get it out there and hope that it, that it takes. Um, there's, there's this idea in the world and in this industry specifically of, well, that's just compliance training. We're just checking the box. I'm sure you've heard that. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in that. I believe that if we're spending a learner's time here just to check a box, we should also make it effective and worthwhile for them. Why waste their time just checking a box when we can also increase their learning and help them stay safe in the field? Um, And so when I first came on, I felt like it was very tactical, like I said. Now we're trying to be more strategic and more long-term about it. Um, I've also seen that there's a shift in what technologies are being used. Uh, When when I first came into this industry, a computer-based training that was very flat with one image and a bunch of text and no audio was it was very common uh, on the scale of least effective to most effective with least effective being zero training most effective being like hands-on with one instructor and one student i felt like we were really down toward the zero range where we would just pop in a 20 year old video and say watch this and then get out there in the field mm-hmm. maybe you got mentored maybe you didn't um but now I see that there's a, a, a blend and a mixture of different types of training all along that scale that can be used.
0: And so do you see those changes in our industry. Uh, how, how do you, how's the industry responding to those changes? Because, I mean, it, you know, when you talk about paradigm shifts and things like that, it's not just what you're doing, but it's how the people are receiving those as well, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And I think our industry is a little bit behind the power curve. Um, our industry, I feel, is, is very cost-conscious, And so when new training innovations come up, we're rarely the first adopter because we're not sure if it works. We're not, we don't want to pay the premium price. We want to wait. Mistakes
0: in our industry usually make front page news. That's
1: right. That's right. So I, I think that we're very cautious about that, both in terms of how much we want to whip out our wallet, but also whether or not it works. And what's really nice now is that we've seen what works and what doesn't work in un- other industries, and we can now adapt them to our industry.
0: Excellent. So along with learning, you also have innovation in your title. And that goes to what you mentioned earlier. You mentioned about some new technologies and things like that. So so what are some of the technologies that you guys are experimenting with to, to get those memories and that learning across?
1: Great question. So... I mentioned earlier that scale from 0 to 10 with video or zero training being the least and instructor-led, one-on-one being the best. And I believe we need to have a a mixture, like a cocktail of everything in there, because some people are going to gravitate more toward hands-on training and learn more from that. Some people are going to enjoy the theoretical side and just want a CBT. Some people are going to want a little bit of everything, and the little bit of everything you actually cover all of your bases. Some of that little bit of everything has been expanded recently. And you've seen this with the advent of smartphones being able to deliver media um, with virtual reality, with XR and AR or augmented reality. All of these things are starting to come online and we're able to, here at Hask, we're able to test these on behalf of the industry. There may be a contractor out there that really wants to use VR, but they don't have the budget for it. They don't have the training department to go through the development cycle. We can do that here for them and be the test bed for all of this and prototype it for them. And then they can come to us and say, we want that as well. Just like we did with CBTs back in the early 2000s, where some places didn't want CBTs. Now they realize the scalability of it. They realize how much more you can do with CBTs and you can get it out there. We can do that on behalf of the industry.
0: And so you mentioned all the realities, right? Virtual reality, XR, AR. Which one of the what are the differences in those from a learning standpoint, and which one do you think uh, lends itself more to to the industrial industry?
1: Very good question. So, it's interesting that you asked that because it's changing so much. VR is a standard, right? Virtual reality. Everyone's heard of it. you were even telling me the other day about how you were using your son's virtual reality to do a lightsaber battle.
0: Absolutely. And
1: so it's becoming somewhat ubiquitous out in the world and people mm-hmm. are getting used to it. And that's wonderful. It is, it is a great training tool. AR, or augmented reality, is the idea. Imagine a face shield on a hydroblaster and it would point out danger areas on his face shield electronically and say, nope, you need to stay away from that. Oh, you need to stay away from this. And so that's where... There's, there's either a computer program or there's uh, someone on the other end who's helping the technician through the use of an augmented reality media, like mm-hmm. a fa- face shield. Usually. So,
0: that, that would probably lend to a lot more people behind it, you know, to, to come oh, yeah. up with that because oh, yeah. cause every situation is different, right? Yep.
1: It's, imagine like a heads up display in the military, it's very right. similar to that. Extended reality is really interesting and just come on recently. And what that is is imagine um, your confined space area out here. Um, if we could model that confined space, rea- that, that confined space model, that specific one, and get someone used to that in a virtual reality world, so that when we pop them out here in the real world, They already know where everything is. And so for your model, it's interesting. But if you take this to a rig floor or you take this offshore or you take this to a refinery and you model that actual refinery, now it really does have a lot of benefits to the learner because he's already been through this process. He's already been through this procedure. He knows where the danger points are. The difficulty, of course, as you can imagine, is the cost. Right, right. And not only that, what if something changes? Now you have yeah. to go, re-back, re- go redevelop it again.
0: And I think something like that, I mean, I've heard of, of extended reality being used for uh, uh, Ron Sokol with uh, Texas City uh, told me that they were using that for schools. They were, they were modeling schools and they were going through active shooter drills, that's, right? That's a terrific ex- and that, example. And that would be a, a prime example of, of where that type of reality would be perfect because then your teachers could train and in, 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 in your faculty can train in a safe environment, but they're training in the building that they work in, right?
1: Exactly. And actually, you're bringing up the biggest benefit of all of these virtual reality, extended reality type of tools is you're able to provide a training in perhaps a dangerous environment without the dangers being present. You can also do it, uh, for much more cost effectively. Mm -hmm. Uh, right now we're doing one on fire watch and fire extinguisher training. Well, if we gave everyone a fire extinguisher to learn how to do pass, it'd be very expensive. Plus we'd have to have a fire out here for them to do. We can do that in a virtual world and they can mimic that type of movement, get a lot out of it, without actually the expense of the danger that comes with it. Just like with your active shooter drill. We don't really want an active shooter going around, but we want to practice in an environment that helps lead us toward being more calm and more apt to make good decisions if it ever happens.
0: Right. So, so you, and, and that's going to go back on to what you said about building memories because you're actually having them, just something as simple as the pass method, pass method, pull, aim, squeeze, swing are sweet right yep. so you you're, you have them go through those motions and even though it's in a virtual reality world they're doing those motions and that creates that memory right yep. what you were talking about earlier about if they're actually in there they've done it before
1: one interesting thing about that is pull aim squeeze sweep and we know when we say aim we mean aim at the base of the fire but that's not literally in that past it's right. just aim and so what we see a lot of the times is if people will aim at the fire And our virtual reality is if you're not aiming at the base, it's not going out and you're going to have to redo it again and we have to remediate you. And so I think that that's a perfect example of how virtual reality can be almost as good as instructor-led or hands-on, but not quite there. What I like to say is it bridges the gap between computer-based training or instructor-led training and hands-on training. There's a very large gap between those two. This bridges that gap a little bit.
0: And, and what other projects are you working on? Are you doing more than just uh, Firewatch? How are you expanding the, the reach of, of virtual reality?
1: So we have a really neat one coming out. Um, it's, it's about confined space entry. Mm-hmm. and we actually have modeled it based on actual confined space entry uh, entry accidents in the past. And what we're trying to do there is we, we will actually show a video to the user about the injury that occurred. And how it affected the injured person's loved ones. We don't really go into the details of the injury itself, but we talk about the after effects mm-hmm. through those loved ones and through interviews with friends and family. What we're trying to do there is inspire an emotional connection to the training. If you think about it, Tommy, you'll probably remember quite well your, your, your marriage, mm-hmm. right? Because there was an emotional impact to it. Uh, but you probably don't remember what you had last Thursday for lunch because there is no emotional impact. We're trying to inspire that emotional impact so that someone who goes through our confined space training through virtual reality remembers it much, much better than if they just went through a computer-based training by itself.
0: And you do that by, uh, you know, bringing up those those emotions or at least those seeing those emotions that, that it, it affected other people.
1: Right. That's exactly it.
0: Okay. And so uh, so obviously then virtual reality is probably the best for our industry. Uh, how come it's not on every, every uh, training uh, institute in, in, in the industry?
1: So you, you said it's probably the best for our industry. There are things about it that make it very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some things about it that don't make it so good. One of those is the cost. We right. need to determine if the amount of investment that goes into virtual reality is worth the payoff from it. We've actually done a study to determine whether or not there is a payoff for it. Our initial study compared a computer-based training with no virtual reality exercises versus the same computer-based training with virtual reality exercises. And we found that immediately after taking both courses, there was no difference in the scores. So virtual reality had absolutely no effect on the short-term memory uh, based on these tests that we did, uh, the final exam mm-hmm. for the learner, what we did find was if we re-engaged them a week later, that virtual reality created long-term memory moments that were that had the learner score ten percent better than those that did not have virtual reality, and so that tells us that virtual reality creates long-term memory far better than no virtual reality. The question becomes whether or not that's worth the investment and the time and the expense of the hardware and the delivery mechanisms.
0: So it's kind of like that old uh, Chinese proverb, what I hear, I forget, what I see, I remember, but what I do, I understand.
1: Exactly. And and so what we're seeing with this virtual reality exercises that are tacked on to our computer-based training is that not only do the learners see it, but they also get to do it, and that's, what some, that's when they understand it and they take it with them and they remember it.
0: So you mentioned that there's a difference between there's – no, there's no immediate difference in this first trial run that you did with, with uh, the fire extinguisher, but you've seen a, a change afterwards. How else can you reach out and, and, and how else can you affect learning after someone leaves the safety council?
1: So that's something we're we're really focused on right now is it concerns me that we'll have learners come in, take their training, and then they leave and they forget, they begin forgetting immediately. And they leave what they've learned here at the council and they don't take it into the field with them. And that's not what we want. We want them to learn here and take it with them into the field. One of the best ways of re-engaging our learners after they leave the council is through reinforcement exercises, spaced practice. It's called. Our industry has a habit, and has gotten into the habit, of doing what's called block learning or bulking learning, mm-hmm. where it's all at once. Right, we get it all done in the first day or two, and then they, they we don't see them again for another year. That, go-
0: that goes back to that check the box training, That's right? right the we have training. we have to cover this this many things let's knock them all out get it done so that we can go to work right that's right
1: and it's also one of the least effective ways of making the transfer of knowledge because you can imagine if you're here for two eight-hour days by the end of those two eight-hour days what do you remember from that first hour right probably very little And,
0: and you know i've seen some of the guys routing cards here They're they're here for more, some people are here for more than two days. That's
1: right. And so that's very concerning to me. I want to make sure these guys learn these things and they keep it with them. And one of the best ways of doing that is through spaced practice. You either space out the training over time, which we can't do very well in this industry, or we re-engage them over a period of time with the things that we hope that they learned. So imagine for a second, Tommy, that you go through our fire watch or fire extinguisher training. You learn about the PASS method. And you you loved it, you thought it was great, you leave and you get back to work. And you're not using those memories anymore. You're not reinforcing those memories you created. And so the past method starts drifting away. Now, you've been in the industry 40 years and so you'll always remember. But that guy who's been here four weeks, this is something he may need to know. (laughs) What if he got a text or he came in later for another class and we re-engaged him? with that same information. What you've just done is you've reinforced those memory networks that we created, made them stronger and made him more apt to remember it over time. So reinforcement training is really the best um, key to helping change things from training to learning.
0: And I, th- I think another one too is, is when you talk about learning something, and, and this is something you know that, that I tell my kids in, in school is that if you don't fail, You're not really learning because if you know all the answers to the test, then you really haven't learned it. You already had that knowledge. So it needs to be it needs to be rigorous. Right. It needs to be something that you 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 have to struggle with. And that's what creates that that learning. Right.
1: Right. And what you're hitting on, you've mentioned the word rigor. We try to focus all of our training development in what we call the four R's. relevance, rigor, reflection, and reinforcement. If we can hit all of those when we develop our training, then we have a better chance of the learner remembering it over time. The other thing uh, that's really new in our industry is adaptive learning techniques. Adaptive learning techniques, uh, to boil it down, is Tommy, you've been in this industry 30 something years. Should you be taking the exact same test that someone who's been in this industry four years or, no, or four I years. can answer that question. No. <laughs> right.
0: But how do we how do we get there? How do how do we how do we get to that point where uh, someone who, like you said, who's been in the industry for thirty years and for whatever reason has to take a, a course that is kind of basic plus, for example, is designed for anyone coming into the industry. And it's a great program for anyone who's coming into the industry. But we see from time to time that there's people in basic plus that have been in this industry for thirty or forty years. For whatever reason, they have to go back through this basic plus. How do you I mean, that's gotta be it's gotta be frustrating and that's probably why they tried to avoid it as much as, as long as they could, but when it comes down to it, they have to do it. How, how can we help those guys?
1: So adaptive learning is the idea of using some of the data at our disposal to craft a more specific training or learning course for those people. So if we have data that proves that Tommy's been in the industry 30 years, we can use that data to shift him into a course that makes more sense for him. Right now, it's a one-size-fits-all, but we start. We've already started having discussions with our IT team about how we can use the data that's in our LMS to help shift some of the learning and make it more advanced for those people who need it more advanced. Because one of those four R's is rigor, meaning we need to make it challenging enough that you want to learn from it. If I gave you a computer-based training class right now on your ABCs, you would pretty much zone out right away, and you mm-hmm. know you can to get the test. I know my ABCs, but if I give you one on, I don't know, um, give me something more rigorous, <laughs> novel writing, for instance. Well, now we may have a better chance of engaging you and wanting, and you're wanting to pay attention. Right. That's what we're trying to get to.
0: Right. So. Where does microlearning fit into this? Because that's been a buzzword in the industry, right? Everyone says microlearning. What is microlearning? I think half the people that use it maybe not know what it means. But what does microlearning mean, and, and, and how are we using it in our industry? So
1: it is a buzzword, and it is used in many different ways. It can be used as spaced practice, like I mentioned before, where after the fact we're sending them little small pieces of information. Or, you can use it uh, more directly by providing small pieces of information uh, through different means. So, what I'm getting at is microlearning is basically taking large blocks of information and chunking it up into smaller blocks. Right now, we're using it in our hallway uh, when people stand in line to come into our lab to take a course there's a video screen up there that's talking about training. So while they're standing in line, they can look at these video screens and they can learn something about hand safety or heat stress. And then they can take a test on their, um, on their phones and, and get a, a course number on their badge saying mm-hmm. that they've learned something about hand safety and they've proven it through the test. That's micro learning. It's a five to seven minute quick course that improves their, their understanding of a subject. You can also do it through, um, uh, you know, more distance learning when when they're away and I can send you a chat bot or I can send you a a course to take that's five to seven minutes. Micro learning is really just that short chunking of information rather than large blocks of training.
0: And so it lends itself probably to certain areas of training more. It's better for certain aspects than than, say, a, a long, drawn-out topic, obviously.
1: Definitely. But what you can do is you could have a course that's built up of 20 different micro-learnings. Mm-hmm. So that if you want to go through a leadership course, for instance, you can do 10 to 15 different small micro-learnings that build up into a larger uh, block of training.
0: Okay. So if there was one thing that we could do to encourage learning, because that's that's really what the safety council is all about, right? The safety council is about making people safe. What is the one thing we can do that moving forward to, to create that learning, to create those memories, what we've talked about in this podcast, what's, what's something that we can do moving forward? So
1: you've heard me talk about reinforcement. And I think that is the simple answer is how do we reinforce training and do spaced practice and get it spread out over time rather than all at once. And the, the way to do that, if, if I do a, an exercise and I think, well, if I had all the money in the world and I could change this industry by snapping my fingers, mm-hmm. what would I do? And one of those things is I'd make training far more accessible for our, for our learners. Uh, I think in the past, there was this idea that you had to come to the council for mm-hmm. everything. And we do a very good job here of helping people process through training in, in these courses. But if they can get it on their phone, they can get it at home, they can get it through their office, they can get it through all these different delivery systems, and we can keep the integrity knowing that, yeah, it was Tommy who took this. We have a picture of Tommy who took it. We've got his signature here. We know it's Tommy, and that's why we can put that in his file. But we can do it away from here. Then I think we have a better chance of breaking up those large blocks of training, which are not as effective, and spreading it out over time. Imagine if Tommy just started in this industry, he goes straight from flipping burgers to this industry. and in the first week, he learns what he needs to know in that first week. Uh, and then we reinforce it over the next few weeks. And then at the three month mark, he comes back for a little bit more advanced training. And then we reinforce that over the next few weeks and months. And then after six months, he comes back again. That's the, the career path which we would love to promote. That also helps Tommy learn things over time so that he mm-hmm. can use them in the field more often.
0: Plus, once you're out in the field, you get a little bit of a experience. And, and that sometimes is very helpful because, back to the burning of the hand, right? Yep. You can be told something's hot forever. But if you've never experienced hot or you've never experienced it, it doesn't mean anything to you. Very similar to someone in your example for uh, someone who's coming from a restaurant industry who is a... Uh, uh, flipping burgers and and they come in and, and some of the some of the terminology that if we we start talking about lotto and they're starting to thinking about well what's it up to now right. right when are we going to go buy tickets and that's not what we mean in our industry when we talk about lotto and so i think uh, that's very beneficial to someone to to be out there and get a little bit of experience be exposed to a little bit of it safely and then they really make sense to them when they, when they hear it again and
1: then be re-exposed and grow. Exactly. Right. One of the things I remember when I was training new hires, uh, who had just come from other industries, had no idea what our industry was about, was we'd talk about confined spaces and confined spaces are you know, very dangerous. They can, they can injure or they can kill. And if you're not, uh, performing your work correctly in confined spaces, you can, you know, you can get someone else hurt or yourself. And, When we talk about confined spaces, you could see that they just didn't get it Mm -hmm. because it's a term that's not used outside of this industry much. And so I always had to break it down in an analogy and say, think of your attic. That's a confined space. Now, we we don't have permits to help you get into your attic, but that's basically what it is. It's not designed for you to live there. There's limited entry and exit, but that's what we're talking about.
0: But you had to relate it to something. Exactly. To a memory that they had to reinforce that training
1: way to tie it back to memory
0: good job <laughs> okay so so one last question you talked about the innovation and uh you know the 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 four r's of, of of learning which is relevancy reinforcement uh rigor reflection uh but how does all that tie into instructor-led training or or tactile learners because a lot of people you know like we've said and we we we've talked about a couple times in this, this podcast already is people learn by touching, right? And, and, and sometimes that's, that's just how people learn. So how do you apply all those things, those more cerebral type things to that tactile learner?
1: So uh, instructor-led and hands-on training is very effective and it has its place in that mixture or that cocktail I was talking about, your overall training mix because it is very effective. But one of the ways it's effective is because usually class sizes are smaller and you have an instructor and they're able to take their time. Whereas with a computer-based training, it moves at this pace, right? And you usually it's scalable, much larger. So hands-on training is terrific. Uh, What I want to see is the ability to transfer learning objectives regarding theory in one way. So we don't waste that instructor's time on theory or on some of the fundamentals when he has that individual in front of him. Secondly, hands-on training is very good because we were talking about burning your finger. Mm-hmm. Well, what if, what if you're touching that wrench? What if you're putting together your hard hat for the first time? All of these things are helping to develop a more vast memory network that you can build on and, and find later when you need it. Uh, we have a class here that we've created called Basic Plus Hands-On. Cause we talk a lot about different aspects of our industry and safety in our industry in basic plus. And then, like I said, people leave and they mm-hmm. start forgetting right away. So we have a two hour course where we not only show them all of the gear that is involved in the industry, but also we run them through scenarios that are typical within our industry where they also have to use some of the safety equipment. And so what you're doing there is you're creating this really vast and deep memory network that they can call upon later. And many of the th- tools that I was talking about, these innovative tools to reinforce, can also be used with instructor led training in that manner.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, too, uh, building on what you said about the, uh, the hands on, you know, too many times we've, we've seen people come in and, and take Basic Plus uh, multiple times, right? And uh, you take a learner who comes in and takes Basic Plus six times. And then they pass it on the sixth time with a 70, um, and and they're ready to go into the workforce. But are they really ready to go into the workforce, right? And by rules, they're ready to go into the workforce. But I think something like that, I think that would help bridge that gap. Because if, if someone's taking basic plus five or six times, they're missing something, right? It could just be a language barrier, but it also could be that they're just not understanding the material. And so I think that that hands-on would also give them that that clarity to help them out.
1: The other thing to keep in mind is a lot of people gravitate toward this industry because of the type of person that they are. Shade tree mechanics, people who like to break things apart and put them back together again better, Mm -hmm. people who enjoy getting their hands dirty is, is synonymous with this industry to a great degree. And providing them that outlet where they may learn better that way is something we ought to be doing a lot more.
0: Excellent, excellent. All right, Dave, well, thank you for your time uh, joining us for the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Uh, any closing remarks?
1: No, I think we covered just about everything. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Uh, I think that, the, that Hask, by investing in me and investing in you and some of the others here, is really trying to up that game and, and provide a better learning experience for people in this industry and i i think this podcast is an excellent uh, opportunity to get that out to everyone about what we're doing here and how we can make learning more effective not just for hask but for the industry as a whole and so i appreciate it tommy
0: all right so just tying up our conversation we we talked about the ability of of learning and how how creating memories has has such a positive effect on learning right and how the 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 hask is trying to go towards that that direction uh, by creating memories helping people learn and helping them retain it once they leave here and in doing that that leads to some of the innovation that you're working on with vr and and, and working through some of that getting those those touching making people do use all their senses in that virtual reality type atmosphere and and the other thing you touched on was uh... uh space learning you know instead of trying to cram everything in one or two days to kind of space it out a little bit and uh, i think those Those are very interesting points, and uh, again, I thank you for taking the time for the podcast and hope to see you again in the future. Thank you, Tommy. All right. All right, guys, that's it for us today. Uh, That was uh, Dick Hanna with uh, Hask, and uh, remember, stay safe.